Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. It is Mother's Day, and um, as such, um, for the last several years, I, I, I'm not sure how many years it's been, um, I have read this uh, Mother's Day blessing that I absolutely love. It was written and so much more eloquently than I could have come up with myself. Um, an author by the name of Amy Young wrote this. Um, I know it's been a while because as I read through this every year when I pull it back out, I see where my family has moved on this spectrum of, of where we, we want to bless moms, and uh, just we're, we're, we're in a different place than we were the first time I read this, and I think you'll understand as I read it. So uh, moms, this is for you. This is uh, our, our blessing and our prayer uh, for all of you moms uh, today on this Mother's Day. Amy Young writes this, and I will echo her words, and these are from my heart as well. To those of you who gave birth this year to your first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those of you who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you've longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nest in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. We have real warriors in our midst. We remember you, we honor you, and we love you. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious and eternal God, we give you thanks and praise with great joy, with great gratitude, with great appreciation, and with great love in our hearts. Today, on this Mother's Day, as we celebrate women, we pray for the mothers, for the sisters, for the friends, the colleagues, the mentors in this space, the ones that you have chosen to guide us, 
the ones you have chosen to help others see the good news of Jesus in their lives and in the world. For all the people who have paved the way for us, we give you thanks. For parents and pastors and teachers and friends, we give you thanks. For all who have helped us, God, we thank you. And for your son, who came to give his life that we may all have life, we give you thanks. Bring your Holy Spirit on us all now, that we may be your holy people, baptized to serve you in the world around us. May your transforming grace equip us, ready us to be your servants in this community and in the world. Teach us to love better. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, since Mother's Day falls in this month, we are spending the month in our teaching time uh, in, a, in a series of lessons that I'm calling Get a Grip on Relationships. And we're using the imagery of family to help us identify four biblical principles that I believe can be complete game changers in every relationship in your life, whether it's a relationship in your home, your relationship with your spouse or with your children, relationship with your adult children, but even outside the home. Relationship with your coworkers, relationship with, with people that you know in community, relationship with people that we do church with. These four biblical principles work. These four biblical principles are solid principles for us to apply to every single relationship in our lives. Now, I say that, but I've got to give this caveat because I know as we walk through these four principles, we started last week with this idea of fighting fair, uh, of, of what to do when, when there's conflict in a relationship. When I walk through these four principles and I read these scriptures to you and we talk about these biblical principles based on scriptural ideas of four family and four relationships, I know that these principles represent the ideal, the, the perfect world, if you will. And because these things are the ideal, and I don't know about you, but I live in reality. And reality and the ideal are always not always on the same same wavelength. You, you with me? Does that happen at your house too, or is it just my house? I know. I, so I understand. There's a distance between the ideal, what we're setting up, these biblical principles, and where we really are in reality. So the the reaction tends to be when we hear these things. I already know. Your reaction tends to be that sounds great on Sunday morning, but that ain't gonna work. That's not gonna work in my life because you don't know what it's like at my house. You don't know what that's like. That won't work. And since that's not gonna work, we're just gonna go back to what we know. And that is, we're just going to keep doing what we've always done. That's the way we work. Our family has always been dysfunctional. We're always going to be dysfunctional. That's who we are. I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Uh, we're dysfunctional. That's who we are. Our family, we yell. That's what we do. So that's what we're going to The ideal's not going to work, Larry. We're just going to yell at each other. We throw things. We stuff everything down. And then we explode once a year, usually around the holidays. It's just fun for everybody when we do that, right? That's what we do. That's who we are. We just kind of live that out. And then we say, well, that's what everybody else does too, so what's the big deal? That's the way we live. That's the way they live. That's the way they live. That's the way it is. And we're just one great, big, happy, dysfunctional family, right? It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then what happens is we take all of those dysfunctions from our home, we take those dysfunctions with us into the workplace, and we wonder why we have to change jobs every few years. And then we take all of those dysfunctions into the church, and we wonder why nobody wants to sit with us. And we take all those dysfunctions into the community, and we wonder why, kid, why, why people won't let their kids play, with, play at our house. And we can't figure it out. Because we just live with it. 
Well, listen, this is why I love the Bible. This is one, one of the reasons, because the Bible doesn't just tell us the ideal, the perfect. It doesn't just give us this. The Bible also tells us the real, and it shows us how to get from reality, where you and I live, to, to the ideal. It shows us how to get at least on the right road towards the ideal. So let me read you a verse this morning from the New Testament. One verse, written by the Apostle Paul. Now, you've got to understand the context of this one verse. Paul the Apostle, this, this verse comes from a letter that Paul is writing to a church. So this is a group of people who worship together, they do life together, they, they, are, they are taking the message of Jesus around their community together. They are a church together. And he's writing to a church, and the context of the conversation is he's talking about families, nuclear families. And so these two things kind of blur together in this one verse when he says this. You ready? Here's the verse. Humbly, to the church, to the family, humbly submit to one another out of respect for Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here, I want everybody in the home, every member of the family, to be there for someone else. And he's saying to the church, I want every member of the church to be there for someone else. I want you in your position in the home and your position in the relationship, whatever that relationship looks like, your position in the workplace or your position in the church family to use your position to serve someone else. Everybody submits to one another. If everyone were to submit to everyone, then suddenly everything in the home would change. And all of your relationships would change as well. So this gets us to our big idea, our biblical principle for today. Great relationships practice mutual submission. And I know you might say, <laughs> you don't know my situation. I know, this is the ideal. You don't know my situation. You're right, I don't. I, I don't know your situation, but I know this is the ideal. And I know you'll never move from reality towards the ideal unless you begin to practice this. And I know the tendency is to say, well, that's not going to work for us. That's not going to work for me. I'm just too busy. I can't put these things into practice in my life. I can't fix my relationships. But the truth is, this, this is simpler than you think. And it starts when you decide, when you decide that a great relationship is going to be possible just by mutually submitting to one another, which means this home, this home is going to be about we are here for each other. This church, this church is going to be about we are here for each other. The workplace, this workplace, this workplace is going to be about we are here for each other. The relationship, no matter what context the relationship is, the relationship, whatever that looks like, is going to be about we are here for each other. I'm going to be here for you. Because here's the truth, and you already know this. Because me trying to make you be here for me has never worked. <laughs> and it's never going to work. And it's never made a great relationship. I am here for you. And when you begin to get this principle in mind, you are on your way to changing 
every relationship in your life. So how do we do it? How do we begin to move from the real to the ideal? I want to give you a question today. A question that I'm, I want to challenge you to begin to ask on a daily basis to the people in your lives. Here's the question. What can I do to help you? That's pretty easy, isn't it? Let's see if you can say it out loud with me. Just read it with me. Ready? What can I do to help you? Some of you husbands sitting next to your wives just choked a little bit, didn't you? All right, let's try it again. All right, everybody together. What can I do to help you? Think about, just, just hypothetically for a minute, think about how this would change your relationships. All of your relationships. Think about your relationship with your friends. What if with your friends, if you would just randomly text them, instead of sending, you know, some crazy meme or some stupid emoji or something funny, or did you see what she was wearing? I can't believe she did not. Instead of texting them, what if you started texting your friends something like, hey, what do you need from me this week? How can I pray for you today? Would that change the dynamic of a relationship? I've got a friend here at this church, one of the leaders here in this church, and every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, he comes up to me and he asks me, do you need anything? You got everything you need? You need some water? You need some water? Do you need anything? Is there anything I can do to help you? Every week he asks me this. I usually, usually I don't need a thing, but he knows that on Sunday morning, and there's a lot on my plate, and I got a lot of things to pay attention to, and a lot of things are running through my mind, and he just takes the, a moment to just ask me, hey, can I do anything for you today? Do you need anything? And can I tell you what an encouragement that is for me every Sunday morning? That someone cares enough about what I am doing in this room or what I'm about to do in this room to make it a point to see if they can serve me? It's unbelievably humbling. <laughs> it's unbelievably encouraging. Think about how this question might change your home. Middle school, high school students, you walk into your parents, you look them in the eye, you put the phone down, and you say to them, Mom, Dad, what can I do to help you? They would drop dead. <laughs> you want to really impress them, kids? Wait till they have company over. Do it in front of their friends. <laughs> parents, parents, you can do the same thing for your kids. Doesn't matter how old they are. Children, teenagers, young adults. Just say to them, hey, I know you got a lot going on right now. I know it's busy. You're trying to get into college. You got to take all these, all these tests. You got all these practices and rehearsals and all this homework. Hey, what can I do to help you? You know what that does for the conversation? They lean in. You know, the older our kids get, at least at my house, the older our kids get, the more we're trying to find ways to get them to talk to us. They'll talk to us about this. They'll, they'll have an answer. What can I do to help you? Ladies, wives, for you to look at your husband and say, what can I do to help you? And let me tell you, ladies, I'm just going to warn you. I already know what his answer is going to be. His answer is going to be nothing, nothing. Because there's something in all of us guys that think, I'll take care of it. I'm the protector. I'm the provider. I'm fine. I don't. But listen, ladies, you ask us enough times, eventually, 
we know something that you could do that would help us tremendously. Guys, husbands, I know this question scares you to death. Because you fear that if you ask your wife this question, the answer will never end, don't you? I get it. But I am telling you, men, I am telling you, if you will stop, turn the TV off for a second, turn and look at her and say, what can <laughs> and painfully say those words guys I'm telling you this is a game changer this is going to change the, the relationship now obviously I'm just having a little bit of fun here but I recognize when we talk about this and this, this issue comes up of mutual submission I understand that there are some serious and legitimate hesitations that you might have so let me just kind of address some of the pushback that may be going on in your mind right now the first one is this and i I think this may be the most legitimate concern the first one is well somebody's going to take advantage of me if i do this someone's going to take advantage listen there are some limits on this obviously and and that and i'm just gonna say that's a legitimate concern here's here's another one well no one's going to do it but me you'll be running around the house taking orders from everybody and no one's offering to help you yeah yeah that that's a risk and that's why this, this, this principle is mutual submission. We have to all do this together. Here's another fear that we have. Well, no one's going to be in charge. No one's going to be in charge. We're all just going to sit around. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What, how can I help you? I don't know. How can you help me? How can I help you? How can I help you? It'd be like a Chippendale cartoon. The, the cartoon, not the dancers, not Chippendale dancers. That's a different thing. All right, here's the thing. <clears throat> These are all legitimate concerns, and they may happen. And that's why the second part of this verse is so important because it tells us why we do it. But here's the problem. When we hear this verse, here's how we want to read the verse. We want to read this verse incorrectly. For a lot of us, we want to make the verse read like this. Humbly submit to one another as long as they meet my needs. And most of us, let's be honest, most of us tend to operate this way. We tend to think that as long as you meet my needs, then I will be interested in helping meet your needs, that it's a a, a reciprocal thing. You do it for me, I'll do it for you. And the reason we think this, let's just be honest, the reason we think this is because we are natural consumers. That's who we are. We are always on the lookout for the best deal, the fastest shipping, the most bang for our buck. We are naturally consumers. If Walmart doesn't make us happy, what do we do? We go to Target. If AT&T doesn't make us happy, we go to Verizon. We are constantly looking for the better deal. And then we come, we bring that same consumer mentality with us into our home and into our churches and into all of our relationships, and we think, hmm, I'm not sure that you're meeting my needs. You know, when I meet with couples, uh, maybe whose marriages are having a little problem, in the moment and I meet with them and I begin to hear the when I begin to hear a list of things that the other person is not doing I know we're in trouble and I know the marriage is in trouble because they think this idea of mutual submission is just about when they meet my needs but let me tell you this there is nobody there is nobody who will ever meet all of your needs because they were never designed to do that only god can meet all of your needs and as long as you are constantly looking for someone else 
to meet all of your needs, you will constantly be looking for someone else. And when you reach, reach that limit with the person you're with and you realize they don't meet all of your needs, what are you going to do? You're going to go out, you're going to find somebody else and spend the next few years discovering they don't meet all of my needs either. And as long as you're only going to practice this verse only when they meet my needs, then you're not going to have a great, healthy relationship. Here's the second way we read this verse incorrectly. <clears throat> Humbly submit to one another as long as they deserve it. As in this case, we're constantly evaluating the other person in the relationship. Hmm, that was pretty good, but I'm not sure it was good enough. Well, we'll see. And then we're going to sit down maybe on Saturday night every week, and we're going to evaluate how the last week went, and we're going to find out if you deserve for me to ask you the question, what can I do to help you? Because, I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say, do unto others as, uh, do unto others as they do to you? Well, no, that's not exactly what Jesus said, was it? Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And what he's saying here is submit to one another not based on do they deserve it. Because if you're living that way, they'll never deserve it. They'll never be enough. And your relationship will never get better. But instead, let me read again what the verse actually says. Ephesians 5, 21. Humbly submit to one another out of respect for Christ. Out of respect for Christ. You don't submit to one another based on them being worth it or them being good enough or them deserving it, but you do it because of Jesus. And there was a day when God looked at you and God looked at me and God looked at our sin that was so disgusting that separated us from him, and Jesus said, what can I do to help you? And God answered that for us, and he said, someone has to die. Someone has to die in your place. And Jesus did just that. And every time you serve somebody else, every time you ask, what can I do to help you? You're not just making the relationship better. You are behaving like Jesus. You're acting like Jesus. And you submit to others, not based on how well they deserve it. You submit to others because Jesus modeled that for us. That's why we do it. And I know there's this fear, what if I lose authority? What if I, if I move from number one in the relationship to number two? What if no one looks at me the same? And I kind of think that's what following Jesus is all about. It means that we give up our rights. And we give up our authority. And we serve after him. And we model a life after the way that he lived. And that's what it means for us to live this out in our homes as well. When we begin to practice this idea, this principle of mutual submission, and we are here to serve each other, our relationships grow closer together. Because isn't it true? The problems that you've had in your relationships, the problems you've had in your homes, the issues you've had to deal with in your friendships, in, in the workplace, in the church, the issues in those relationships have never been because someone said, what can I do to help you too many times, right? 
That's not why the, it's not from too many people trying to help someone else. The problems in our relationships are from too many people saying, you're here for me. What can you do for me? So what if? What if you set the example? What if you paved the way by being the first one in the relationship to move from the real towards the ideal? And you be the first one to say, what can I do to help you? Let me pray for you. If our community team will go ahead and take their places, be ready to serve communion for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are a God that works with us, that works alongside of us, a God that works to draw us closer to you, and a God that desires for us to draw closer to each other. God, we are here before you today as a group of people that just, we just make a mess out of a relationship sometimes. So God, would you help us to do better? Would you teach us to love better? Would you help us to seek to serve first rather than, than to be served? Would you find people in our lives that we can ask what we can do to help them? Will you help us follow up in response? God, I know there's some of us in the room who are just now beginning to figure out who you are, and we desperately need your power to even be able to begin to pull this off. So maybe today's the day they decide to give their lives to you. So help us serve each other the way that you have served us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.